1983, a wealthy white family was murdered in a brutal attack. The only survivor was an eight-year-old boy who had been viciously assaulted. When he was questioned about the events of that night, he indicated that the attack was carried out by at least three white or Mexican men. So why now, almost 40 years later, is there one single black man sitting on death row for these crimes? And how did the narrative switch so drastically? Are we about to execute an innocent man? And are the real killers still out there? A story so complex even the minds of Walter Mosley, Dean Koontz, and John Grissom couldn't think this stuff up. In this episode, we're going to examine the gross misconduct of law enforcement, the shady dealings of criminologists, and the downright racist proceedings that led to this conviction. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. Quick disclaimer before we get started in this episode, we will be discussing violence towards children. So if that's something that doesn't sit well with you, this is your warning to check out now. In 2004, Kevin Cooper came within four hours of his own death. The closest he has been since his conviction in 1986 of four counts of capital murder and one attempted murder charge. He has adamantly and consistently professed his innocence and even claims that he may actually have been framed by the San Bernardino Sheriff's Office themselves, or at least several members of its staff. So let's start at the beginning. On June 5th, 1983, when the bodies of Doug and Peggy Ryan, their 10-year-old daughter Jessica, their 8-year-old son Josh, and a boy named Christopher Hughes, who was 11, was spending the night with the Ryans, were all brutally attacked inside the home. Christopher's father, Bill, had come over to check up on little Christopher, since he had phoned the Ryan house several times and no one answered. He was starting to grow a little concerned. When he arrived, he peered through the sliding glass doors that led into the Ryan's kitchen and was greeted by a sight that made his blood run cold. The house was painted red. Bill immediately kicked in the door and began the frantic search for his son. He found the bodies of Doug, Peggy, and Jessica lying lifeless and cold before he stumbled upon little Christopher, also void of any signs of life. Before grief could set in for the panicked father, movement caught his eye. The tiny, bloody, broken body of the sole survivor, eight-year-old Josh Ryan. Josh's throat had been cut, his head split with an axe, and his ribs had been broken where he was stabbed with another weapon in the back, breaking three ribs and puncturing a lung. But miraculously, he managed to pull through despite his injuries and is still alive and well today, though he lives a very private life and prefers to keep it that way. The victims were found to have a total of around 144 wounds, ranging from hacks, stabs, slashes, with an estimated three to four different types of weapons. Doug, 41 at the time, had 37 knife and hatchet wounds and even a severed finger. Peggy, also 41, had died from the 17 hatchet wounds to her face and head and four knife wounds to the chest. And young Jessica had been stabbed an astonishing 46 times with all three weapons and had hairs of brown and blonde gripped in her tiny hands. Christopher had 26 stab wounds and numerous skull fractures and he too had had a finger severed. 
And somehow, all of these atrocities, along with the multiple slashes and stabs that Joshua endured, are now all sitting on the shoulders of one man, Kevin Cooper. Cooper had recently escaped a minimum security prison, where he was serving time for burglary, and was found to be hiding out in a vacant property just 125 yards from the Ryan's home. Though this is damning evidence from the start, people have questioned how the 155-pound Cooper, acting alone and who had not eaten since escaping prison days earlier, was able to take on the six-foot-two ex-Marine and his athletic wife, who both kept firearms close at hand. Cooper claims that there's no way he killed the riots, as he had left the vacant property as soon as it was dark, on the night of the 4th, and he began hitchhiking to Mexico. Authorities were able to place him at a hotel in Tijuana, about 130 miles south of the Chino Hills home, around 4.30 p.m. on the 5th of June, meaning the window was just large enough that he had time to murder the family, steal their car, and then flee to Mexico. The car, though, was another interesting part of the investigation. More on that later. First, let's back up a bit. Before Kevin Cooper's name was even on the suspect list, the day after the murders, the house Cooper had been staying in had been searched and no evidence was found regarding the murders. The Ryan station wagon had been stolen, as we mentioned before, but was quickly recovered just 50 miles south of the home. It was found to have blood on the driver's seat, the passenger seat, and one side of the back bench seat. The car had also been spotted by several witnesses being driven by a man with long blonde hair and accompanied by two other people. Two different bloody shirts were recovered in the area surrounding the home, on opposite sides of the road. One was tan and one was light blue. And a bloody hatchet had also been found that is believed to be one of three to four murder weapons used. Now these shirts were found just outside of a bar called Canyon Corral that was just down the road from the scene of the murders. And on the night of the murders, witnesses at the bar reported seeing three drunk and disorderly white men covered in blood leave in a station wagon matching the description of the Ryan's car. Two days after the murders, a woman named Diane Roper arrived at the police station with a pair of bloody coveralls that she had found in her then-boyfriend Lee Furrow's closet. Also, his hatchet was missing from his toolbox. She also claimed that he was wearing a light tan shirt that morning when he left the house. She remembers this because she laid it out for him the night before. Lee Furrow's was a parolee who had been out of jail for barely a year, following his murder conviction in 1974, in which he strangled a 17-year-old named Mary Sue Kitt and then disposed of her body by dumping it in a canal. He is said to have been working under the orders of Clarence Ray Allen, a convicted murderer who has ties to organized crime and known gang affiliations. Furrow's coveralls were never tested and were thrown out by the Sheriff's Department, believe it or not. Now, I know this is a lot, but stay with me. It gets even crazier. So initially, the police were looking for three people. One who was a known and convicted felon. But as soon as it became known that Kevin Cooper had been hiding out in the vicinity, the direction of the investigation took a sudden turn in his direction. So then, a second search was done of the house that Cooper was hiding in, in which a bloody green button and a sheath for a hatchet were found, lying in the middle of the floor in plain sight. The blood on the button matched Doug Ryan's blood type. How convenient. When asked why that obvious evidence wasn't found on the first search, the officer claims he never entered that room of the house, even though his fingerprints were found in the closet 
of that very bedroom. A second search was also done on the car, and a missing cigarette butt was found, which was again in sight and had been overlooked in the first search. The cigarette butt was said to be the kind issued to prisoners at the prison that Cooper escaped from. And in the second search of the hideout house, those same cigarette butts had been found, but they were never checked into evidence. Now a side note, real quick, another discrepancy in Cooper's trial occurred when the cigarette butts were tested for DNA. They were first measured at 4 centimeters, but the second test reported them at 7 centimeters. That may seem insignificant, but when paired with all the other shady evidence in this case, it speaks volumes. So Cooper was arrested and brought into custody for the murders. Upon his arrest, several vials of his blood and saliva samples were collected. A state expert analyzed a single drop of blood from the Ryan home found in the hallway, which was a good distance away from the gory crime scene. The criminalist that tested the blood first said that the blood drop was one blood type and then later changed his findings to another, which just so happened to match Cooper's blood type. A judge defended this and said that the criminalist originally, quote, altered his lab notes and claimed he had misinterpreted his results. So the court had their killer. And after nearly a four month trial, Kevin Cooper was found guilty of murder and attempted murder. He was sentenced to death and sent to San Quentin prison to await his execution. But as you can imagine, many people started advocating for Cooper immediately, since none of the clues added up to him committing these crimes. And on Christmas Eve 2018, California Governor Jerry Brown approved new DNA testing on four pieces of evidence. The tan t-shirt, the hatchet, the sheath, and an orange towel that was found near the Ryan home that matched the ones from inside their house. His defense attorney, Norman Heil, believes authorities planted Cooper's DNA using blood that they collected when he was arrested in 1983. The vial of Cooper's blood was tested again in 2002. DNA tests showed the presence of a second DNA profile in the blood, meaning the sample had been corrupted. And in 2019, when authorities went to test it again, the vial was mysteriously empty even though it had been stored alongside many other vials, which were still full and intact. Kevin Cooper was scheduled to die by lethal injection on February 10th, 2004. A large crowd gathered outside San Quentin to protest the execution. And in his first streak of luck so far, three hours and 42 minutes before midnight, a federal court stayed the execution and saved Kevin Cooper's life. Several years later, Judge William Fletcher from that same federal court wrote that he thought, quote, the state of California may be about to execute an innocent man, end quote. Nicholas Kristof, an opinion columnist at the New York Times, began writing about the case in 2010 in a piece he entitled, I Think They Got the Wrong Guy. This drew renewed interest into the complex case and rallied advocates from around the world. And on February 22, 2019, California Governor Gavin Newsom ordered additional DNA testing of hair, blood, and fingernail scrapings from the victims and on the green button. Tests on most of the evidence failed to generate a full DNA profile. The orange towel, believed to be from Ryan Holm, did have a single male DNA profile, but it did not appear to match Kevin Cooper or Lee Furrow. In 2019, Governor Newsom imposed a moratorium on executions in California, shutting down the state's execution chamber, and it remains in place as of the time of this recording. 
meaning for now, Cooper will not be put to death, but still remains imprisoned for a crime he says he did not commit. And in June of 2021, Governor Newsom also ordered an independent investigation into Kevin Cooper's case, but the results of that investigation are still pending. Until the results are announced, Kevin Cooper will be held in San Quentin, awaiting his fate. So what do you think? Did the police get it right? In our opinion, that's a rhetorical question. There is so much mystery surrounding this case and just a brief inquest into this crime and it's obvious one man couldn't have pulled this off alone. This case is a rabbit hole of information like many we cover, but we will continue to follow it and update you with any new information as it becomes available. All right, so there you have it. That's what we know so far in regards to the Chino Hills Massacre. Um, by far one of the most aggravating cases that we have covered. Uh, my wife Kristen is here with me today, and um, yeah, we're going to talk about how much we hate this case. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how aggravating it is. Um, I remember when you first brought this case to my attention, you were giving me some of the details, and you mm -hmm. were like, um, you know, this family was massacred all at once and they were not only were they massacred they they weren't shot it's yep. like it wasn't like someone came in there with a, a 22 and a silencer took and took everyone out in mm -hmm. one shot no they were brutally hacked mm -hmm. and stabbed to death and my first impression was this is gang related yeah. or this is organized crime yeah or both mm-hmm yeah. and <laughs> and i still think that yeah i i i still even after knowing all the information um, and this was before I even looked into it. It just it just screamed that yeah. all over. It seemed to be like some type of retaliation kill. Um, I'm not saying that the Ryan family did anything to deserve this. Maybe it was wrong target. That's Maybe what a lot of people think because of the area it was in. It was a okay. very affluent area. Mm -hmm. So that there were a lot of families that did have connections. I don't think the Ryans did. They were both chiropractors. Okay. Like, so... I, a lot of people believe that it was more of a gang thing that they just hit the wrong home. God. Yeah. That's incredibly... It's, I mean, also the the way that the crime was committed. It's like mm -hmm. they were obviously sending a message. Yeah. Yeah. You know, brutal. this was an obvious message. You don't go and hack up children. My God. Like, if you're not trying to send a message. Mm -hmm. and, and nothing was stolen. Nope. Aside from the orange towel yeah. that was taken from their the home, car. which was probably just to help them with some of their wounds or yeah. whatever that, you know, or wipe blood off of them as they were leaving. Yeah. And then, you know, we mentioned, you know, obviously um, the father had woken up at some point in time, Doug. Doug, Ryan, because, you know, he had a severed finger. So that suggests Defensive. that there were defense wounds, yeah. right? It's just, oh my God, it's just an awful 
horrible story. And then when you start to put the evidence together, when you, when just by looking at the car, right, you got blood on the passenger seat, mm -hmm. blood on the driver's seat. Yeah. Obviously, somebody was driving. Yeah. And then you got blood in one spot in the back. It yeah. obviously suggests three people. It, well, it, people were like, well, maybe he got in the back seat. And it's like, yeah, but why would he have... The blood on the passenger seat is on the side of the passenger seat, like when you're getting into the vehicle. Right. Why would you get... They were like, why would he sit in all those seats? Why would he sit in all those seats? And also, like, the multiple t-shirts that are found. Yes. Why would he have multiple t-shirts? Why right. would he even have multiple... Um, weapons with him. It's like it's he put one down and picked up the next one. And yeah, obviously yeah. someone has ties to people at the sheriff's department, right? That is. I mean, it's infuriating. It really is. And then you talk. Then I mean, we didn't even mention the planted evidence yet. Nope. The hatchet. How it just. I mean, the hatchet sheath. Right. Appeared. Mm -hmm. In the house that they had just searched, in the, in the middle, middle of, of the floor. floor. Yeah, it wasn't Come like tucked now. away or anything. You it don't was... miss a bloody hatchet sheath in the middle of the floor. Right. Mm -hmm. On your first search, and then the cop who says he didn't see it, they he found was in that he room. Was lying, yeah, he obviously. was in the room. His his fingerprints were found in the room. Yep. It's like so you were in there. Mm -hmm. Either you're really, really, really bad at your job, <laughs> or you're lying. And that's my thing. So many people made mistakes, and the court is like, oh, well, they like with the oh, they misinterpreted the DNA. You have a man's life in your hands, and right. I understand people make mistakes, but not at your job. No, not in like 2019, 2021 when they were retesting this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Even, As well. Even back then, I'm like, still, even in 1986, like, that's an important job. Yeah. You know, there's contingency after contingency to make sure that you don't do the wrong thing. Yeah. And you still misinterpreted information. That tells me that you're not qualified to do that job. Well, yeah, or you're being threatened. At, exactly. Like, it's the same thing, like, with uh, the survivor, the young boy Josh. who's eight, Josh. I mean... He obviously, the first time he testified, he testified that it was three white or Mexican men, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And since then, he has just chose not to testify. Well, uh, right? a I lot mean, of people say that the detective that questioned him visited him at the hospital like over 20 times. And so they think that that specific detective may have persuaded this story to go a different way. Mm -hmm. And then the... Um, the sheriff that was in charge at the time, yeah, he has since uh, resigned or oh really whatever. But he was found to be selling guns illegally, guns that the the police department had right. taken from people. He was selling them back to somebody. So th does that not tell you right there that organized crime has its hand in there somewhere? Yeah, I mean, not to say that you know selling evidence. I'm sure there's been plenty of police departments that have done that. It oh, yeah. definite gives you ties to organized crime, but it just doesn't look good, mm -hmm. right? And the fact that he's already resigned, mm. <laughs> and you then know, it's when he was questioned about, you know, well, what about these overalls that were never tested and right. then thrown out by your deputies? And he was like, "Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about." And then he got defensive and mad and cut the interview off. He was like, "No, uh, we're done with this bullshit." Right. And it was, it was like, whoa, whoa, but yeah, like, easier. it's a legit question. You were in charge. And this shit happened under your hand. Right. How did you let that, like, explain it? And then the vial of blood that goes missing, an entire vial of blood right. that's supposed to be in evidence. Right. And there were vi crucial. other vials literally right there in the same tray. That, that's huge. That were... That's huge. Fine. And I just don't see, even with all this circumstantial evidence, um, I just don't see how you can convict this man. No. 
I just don't get it. It no. doesn't make any sense. No. And like, it's just not Josh, enough to convict Cooper still. Josh now believes that this is the man that killed his family. And I can understand that because he believes in the, in the justice system. You know, He thinks and they Kevin have, Cooper killed his yes, family. Yes, and they have Yeah, proven. well, that's what he's publicly saying. I mean, obviously, you're not going to come out and say this. If, if a freaking organized crime unit, this gang or whatever, you don't think he's been threatened? You don't think he's been visited? Come know. on. His grandma, like, she's since died, but she was adamant that there's no way that this one man killed her entire family. Absolutely not. Yeah. But like I said, I I wouldn't want to go around believing that the people who killed my family are okay. still out there either. So, yeah, right. You know, I, I mean, so I, I get can that. understand that. I understand that. But I think it's more so the fact that these people have gotten in touch with him and they're like, you stay quiet or it's you're possible. next. It's very possible. And if you have nothing else left. Because she was afraid. She was like, I feel like that all the time. I feel like you haven't got the right guys, and, right. and they're out there. And what if they come after me and him? Yeah. And I think that's one big reason that they led such a private life. Yeah, absolutely. That grandmother, she knows what she's talking about. There's no way. So, so look, they had 30 to 40 stab to slash wounds apiece. apiece. You mean the family, the rest of the family just slept while one person was getting hacked? Right. Come yeah. on now. And you can't do that quietly. You can't. There's and no way. And then you have, And then you have defensive wounds. Yes. As well. And he wasn't covered in anything. He didn't have any wounds when they picked him up, so... Yeah. That's that's <laughs> insane. Absolutely insane. It's an infuriating case. Um, I mean, like I, I like to say, I hope Kevin Cooper gets out, but I mean, God, what does he have left now? He's, got, just, he's in his 60s now, right? They're just like... This he's is like bullshit. They've already taken his life from him. Yep. And they're just waiting now. That's why I feel like they're doing. They're just they keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it until he does die. And then God, I bet you he's know. thinking, "I wish I would have just never escaped." Remember, you right. know, because this all started because he escaped from. Yep. You know, he committed a burglary, right? Oh my goodness! If you read that thing about him, him leaving that prison. Yeah. Okay. One big piece of ed- evidence was a shoe print that they said matches the the exact shoes that are given to prisoners. Right. Right. Okay. The warden of that prison made a statement that said that Kevin wasn't even wearing those type of shoes when he escaped. Oh. And it's like all that's in that that big old long document that that mm-hmm. judge wrote. Right. And he talks about how there's so many discrepancies in, you know, what the actual evidence says and then what is reported in the... In this, oh my God, it's, right. it's, it's infuriating. And we have that link below, right? Yes, it's in yes. the sources. Guys, check the sources right below the description. Um, if you want to just get even angrier, that's just at this one. Case. Yeah, that's just it's, one little piece of. It's frustrating. Like at first, when I started looking at this, I'm like, "Oh, this is a lot like the Purvis Payne case, mm-hmm. remember?" But Purvis Payne, it's like, <laughs> ooh, it could go either way. And There's it's not like, a lot of evidence like for another suspect in exactly, that case. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas this one, the amount of evidence piling up that it was not him and that it was multiple yes. other people is insane. Right. It's like. Okay, so if if you put Kevin Cooper there, okay, well you there was still evidence from other people. Yes. There was still another male DNA mm-hmm. found on the towel. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's still evidence that other men were there. If he was there, he was part of a crew. Yeah. How come we're not right? We're not chasing down anybody else. And you don't else. think by this time he would have like said something or slipped up or right? Yeah. And and he just got out of prison, like you said, a couple of days ago. He hadn't eaten anything. Mm-mm. 155 pounds. I'm sure he wasn't feeling strong enough to slash up a whole damn family. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's just it's infuriating. But obviously you guys can kind of see what's going on here. But um, 
just for shits and giggles, let's check in with Lauren. <laughs> All right. And let's see what he thinks in this week's Lauren synopsis. All right. We'll see you on the other side, guys. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here. Here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. The violent murders of the Ryan family and 11-year-old Christopher Hughes, who was a neighbor of the home of the Ryan family in Chino Hills, California. This occurred back in 1983. The victims had been brutalized, stabbed 143 times with three different weapons, including including an axe and an ice pick. And somehow the Ryan family, their eight-year-old son, survived after being attacked, having his throat slashed and his skull fractured. Man, he managed to survive and was found by 11-year-old Christopher Hughes' father after he kicked down the door to the Ryan family's home the day after the murders. Um, and he would be the only living witness to these crimes. Um, police talked to the young boy shortly after the crimes and were able to create sort of a Ouija board code that he could answer since he couldn't speak due to his throat being slit. And the information that he gave the police was that there was three to four attackers, that they were either white or Hispanic. Um, and that was not, that was about it. Um, but nonetheless, the police targeted, uh, a black man who was nearby 25 year old Kevin Cooper, um, who had escaped two days earlier from a nearby prison and coincidentally was nearby the Ryan family home. Um, on the night of the murders, but then had quickly fled to Mexico. Didn't I mean? Of course, it doesn't look good when a guy escapes from uh, escapes from prison, is near where the murders occur, and then flees to Mexico. Of course, that doesn't look good. But it's also contrary to so much evidence in this case. First off, with the young uh, the young boy Christopher Hughes, what he's saying doesn't match up with that. And then you have the fact that there was three different murder weapons used. Um, that there was bloody shirts of different colors found uh, down the road from the murders, that there was m- several witnesses uh, that claimed to have seen three white men driving uh, the station wagon, the Ryan family station wagon that evening. The fact that they found the station wagon ditched somewhere and that there was blood in the pa- driver's seat, passenger seat, and the rear, one of the rear seats as well, which would lead you to believe there was three attackers as well. Then you have the fact that uh, a woman named Diane Roper um, went to the police, the sheriff's office with evidence, uh, a pair of overalls that connected her boyfriend, Lee Furrow, to the murders. Um, And Lee Furrow's description matched the uh, eyewitness descriptions of the people driving the Ryan family vehicle that night. Um, He also, she said, was wearing a tan T-shirt that day, the day of the murders, which was one of the shirts that was found on the side of the road was a bloody tan T-shirt. She returned the coveralls uh, that that she found in the garage that belong to Furrow. Uh, She she found those in the garage and turned those into police as well. Um, But nonetheless, the police basically, it seems, framed Kevin Cooper. They... They we later found out that they plant a drop of blood at the crime scene. We know that because of EDTA, a chemical that's used to preserve blood samples, which was found in the samples when they later tested it. 
Um, and Kevin Cooper's defense team thought maybe they have planted that they may have planted that blood, which is why they asked specifically that they test the blood for EDT EDTA, and it was found in the blood. Um, it, it's just it's truly under it's it's incredible to me that this man still sits on death row for these crimes. Don't get me wrong; he doesn't seem like a great guy. He was a career criminal prior to the murders, and he's also uh, had two strong rape allegations against him as well. But nonetheless, if the guy didn't do the crime, that there's so much overwhelming evidence that there was multiple perpetrators in this crime um, that don't doesn't explain how he did this. And there's nothing physically connecting him to the crime aside from some blood that is in question that it seems as though police planted at the crime scene. Um, I, I just don't know how you can hold, keep him on death row for this. Not that San Quentin or California is ever going to execute him because they never do. I mean, you still have Randy Kraft sitting in San Quentin for killing... 70 men back in the 70s 60 something whatever it was he's he's never going to get executed kevin cooper will never get executed he almost did once he never will now um thankfully but at the same time he should be exonerated for this for these murders there's they have no physical evidence tying him to the scene nor do they have any uh even eyewitnesses tying him to the scene and they have a lot to the contrary so um it's a blatant uh blatant case of wrongful imprisonment um wrongful conviction um, for these murders. I don't think Kevin Cooper had anything to do with it. I think it was a coincidence that he escaped and was nearby the crime. And of course, he was a young black career criminal. So that was a perfect person for police at the time to uh, blame this on and just get get re- resolution to this, this crime that I'm sure there was a lot of pressure on them to solve at the time. But that's the worst part about this case is that, you know, whoever actually did this, whether it was Lee Furrow and a couple of uh, associates of his, or three other men, they're, they've been out. They've been able to do who knows what to who knows who elsewhere. And uh, that's the scariest part of it. So yeah, that's my uh, thoughts on the case. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. All right, Lauren, thank you very much for that synopsis, sir. Um, yeah, and it's very hard to come to any other conclusion when you really look at this case, guys. But feel free, like I said earlier, to check the sources. Um, there, there are a few YouTube videos are very good. You can also check out kevincooper.com for more information about this case. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can at least get Kevin exonerated from these crimes. Because regardless of other things that he's done and served time for, and or maybe will serve time for, these murders are not it. And the, like Lauren said, the worst part about him taking blame for this is that they're no longer searching for the true killers all right so like we said sources for everything down below and if you like this show you like what we do here at true crime guys productions please consider supporting us on patreon patreon.com slash true crime guys um for just five bucks a month you get access to everything we make here at true crime guys productions which is about three to four different shows a week um, and just a little known fact, patreon.com slash S and you podcast for just three bucks a month. You can get access to just the strange and unexplained content, which I usually release a little early. So just a little fun fact for you. Not many people know about that, but again, that's patreon.com slash S and you podcast. All right, guys, but I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you supporting the show. Please go subscribe to true crime guys on YouTube. Um, wherever you listen, make sure you see the, uh, the desert logo, the TV in the desert, there are a few uh, there are a few channels that have taken our content over the years, but you know it's neither here nor there. 
but make sure you're supporting the official YouTube channel of True Crime Guys. You can also check us out on Spotify. Uh, leave a rating, please, for Strange and Unexplained and True Crime Guys, if you will. It really helps the show. And uh, yeah, next week, guys, will be Sandu Stories. So uh, me and Andy will be doing Strange Shorts here on the free platform, goofing off with you guys. And then our audio drama podcast, Sandu Stories, will be on Patreon which, again, you can get on patreon.com slash guys or slash snupodcast. All right? And we will most likely take the week off for Christmas. We don't take much off. We don't really do seasons here in True Crime Guys, but we do take off major holidays. That's why there was no episode last week. All right? All right, guys. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you next week. Andy and I will. Until then, be strange. Just don't be strangers. feel free to check out all the other programs on the TCG network. Every Wednesday, a new episode of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. If those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and the 5-Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. How do you shut this thing off? Over?